0: True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates.
1: Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht and you're listening to a Spotlight Minisode in which we discuss cases that are in the media at the moment and themes related to true crime. This episode is sponsored by the newly released South African action movie Indemnity and true crime fans, this one's for us too. When a traumatised ex-firefighter in Cape Town wakes up next to his wife's murdered body with no recollection of what transpired he finds himself labelled as the prime suspect. He goes on the run and is soon hunted by a notorious police chief and an unknown third party. He must now fight for his life and find out who killed his wife before a conspiracy changes the course of a nation forever. Starring a proudly South African cast, with Jared Cadult in the lead, who by the way did all of his own stunts, every single one. Jared suspended out of a 21-storey window? Actually Jared. Starring alongside Jared are Gail Mabalane and Nicole Fortain in South Africa's biggest action film in terms of action sequences to date. Last week, we announced the lucky winners of our ticket giveaway. And if you weren't among the lucky winners, I hope you've booked your tickets to see this epic action movie. I'm super excited about how the South African film and television industry is growing. We're producing amazing content in this country, and I'm grateful to be able to help promote this. Thank you so much to Indemnity, for supporting True Crime South Africa. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to thank our new Patreon supporters for the week. A huge thank you goes out to Charlize Byrne, Johan Forster, Aisha Cantor, Shandor Rowe, Anna Marie, Lorinda Hearn, and Deborah Medal for your support on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support, everyone. It really does make a huge difference. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or PayPal, I'll leave a link in the show notes. In addition to the shout-out and monthly exclusive episode that Patreons get, I also now upload an ad-free version of every week's episode to Patreon, so if you prefer not to hear the ads, head over to Patreon and sign up for a minimum monthly contribution of just $1, which at the moment is about 16 rand. It's a pretty good deal. If you like discounts, because who doesn't, head over to King Online for your health and beauty needs, print Crowd for all your printing requirements, and use the code TCSA10 at checkout for 10% discounts and support the show at the same time. And you can also get 10% off when you order from Wallpaper Online by using the code TRUECRIME at checkout. Other forms of support that make a huge difference include following the show on social media, inviting your friends, family, postman, hairdresser and parole officer to listen and leaving reviews on the podcast platform you use. The following episode may contain sensitive material including descriptions of violence, sexual assault or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counselling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. I haven't done a spotlight minisode where I discuss cases that are in the media for a while and there have certainly been some seriously strange and horrific cases since I last did so. The first case I want to chat about I've mentioned in a previous minisode and that is the murder of Renée Jane. Renée's body was found in her holiday home in Defeater-Lifter Nature Reserve in Wolseley, Western Cape, in March last year. On the evening of Renee's murder, another couple in the estates had been broken into, tied up and forced into their bathroom, while the intruders ransacked their home. It's alleged that these same intruders then moved on to Renee's home, and she was killed during the robbery of her home. The alarm was raised when one of the first victims was able to escape from their bathroom window and alert security. When police arrived... They went door to door to each home to see if anyone else had been targeted, and when Renee did not answer the door, they made entrance and found her body. A post-mortem would later reveal that Renee had been assaulted by her attackers, and her cause of death had been suffocation. This week, members of the Western Capes Organised Crime units made an arrest of two suspects in this case. The 21-year-old and 23-year-old suspects have been charged with murder and aggravated robbery. It's been made known that forensic evidence gathered at the scene had aided in the identification of the two suspects, who will appear in court soon. Honestly, I was so impressed and happy for Renee's family when I heard this news. Stranger attacks are some of the most difficult crimes to solve, and home invasions like this very often do go unsolved, simply because, if there's no way to identify a perpetrator and informants aren't talking, where do you even begin? So this really is an example of excellent work by Saps, and I have no doubt that the people of Wolseley and Rene's family are extremely grateful. Another case which has seen some movement recently is the murder of eight-year-old Tasne van Weyck. was kidnapped and murdered in February 2020. Soon after, police arrested Moydian Pangakar. I first discussed this case in my minisode called the Parole Predicament, and then again in minisode number 20. The reason he came up in my discussion of parole is because the accused was out on parole when he's alleged to have committed this murder. In fact, it would emerge that Pangakar is a prolific career criminal and has been in and out of prison at least 12 times in his life. One of the most significant crimes he was found guilty of was the kidnapping and culpable homicide of his own two-year-old son. He'd taken the boy from his mother's custody without legal permission and then proceeded to keep the child, despite having no interest in caring for him, and neglected and abused the boy to such an extent that he died. Pangakar was initially charged with murder in that case, but because the man had been on a drug binge when the boy died of neglect, he was found guilty of a lesser crime. He served time for that crime and was released on parole. Since his arrest for Tasne's murder, many more victims of this man have come forward including some of his own family members who've accused him of rape. Of course, with Tasne having been murdered in February 2020, we all know what happened in the world and in our country in March 2020. The COVID pandemic hit, and we all went into lockdown. As a result, criminal cases started piling up, and this is one of the reasons it's taken so long for this case to come to trial. Eventually this week it was announced that the trial would begin, but sadly for Tasne's family it was once again postponed because Pangakar had been appointed a new legal aid attorney and the lawyer needed time to catch up with the case. The accused faces at least 27 charges, including kidnapping and murder, 11 counts of rape, sexual assault, common assault, desecrating a corpse, and incest, this case is a perfect example of why our parole system needs reform. Had the parole board considering Pangakar's release, had anyone trained in criminology or forensic psychology on it, and had they considered his extensive criminal past, it's highly likely that someone would have understood the risk this man posed to the public, and he would not have been released when he was and Tasne would very likely still be alive. With all due respect to the social workers, religious leaders, and DCS officials that currently make up our parole boards, they are not qualified to be able to properly assess criminals like Pangakar, and Tasne is dead as a direct result. It is time that parole boards are held to account for crimes committed by the criminals they are releasing we are seeing far too many horrific murders being committed by recently released dangerous offenders, and it needs to be addressed. No new date has been announced for the start of this trial, but I will definitely be keeping an eye on this. Another much longer-awaited turn for justice also finally started up this week. In 2011, 25-year-old Andrea Fenter was stabbed to death in front of her home in Randburg. When paramedics and police arrived at the scene, they found not just Andrea's body, but also her ex-boyfriend, Gerard Janssen van Vieren. The man had slit his own throat after allegedly stabbing Andrea to death. It would emerge that Andrea had been struggling to get a restraining order against Janssen van Vieren, who refused to accept that she no longer wanted to be in a relationship with him. Andrea was pronounced dead on the scene, but Janssen van Fieren survived his suicide attempt and was arrested for Andrea's murder. Sadly for Andrea's family, this would only be the beginning of a very long battle to get justice for their daughter. Janssen van Fieren was initially denied bail twice, and then he applied to the High Court and was granted bail in 2013 he proceeded to flee the country it would be 7 years until the man would eventually be located in brazil he was expatriated back to south africa and now 11 years after andrea was brutally murdered the trial has eventually gotten underway i cannot even begin to imagine what andrea's family must have been through during this time and again Decisions like the one taken by the High Court back in 2013 to release Jansen van Feren on bail when they were presented with evidence that he was a significant flight risk and he had already attempted to take his life must be called into question. That decision caused a family untold heartache and terror, not knowing where their child's alleged murderer was. But it also cost the country a fortune in costs, to track down this man and bring him back from Brazil. I do understand that judges are only human, and they are eventually going to make mistakes. But in this case, I cannot see how any judge could look at all the evidence presented before them, see that two previous judges had denied bail, and still allow it. I'll be keeping an eye on this trial, and as soon as it's concluded, I'll be covering the case as a full episode, in memory of Andrea. A really horrific murder of a child that occurred in 2019 was also finalised and justice was attained in court this week. In 2019, 10-year-old Sipumalemo Mzimba went missing from her home in Pinetown. Her parents reported her missing, and that evening they received a ransom call from a woman who was unknown to them at the time. The woman said she'd kidnapped Zpumalelo and she demanded a 20,000 rand ransom for the safe return of the child. Police started an investigation immediately and the following day Zandile Nsela was arrested in Johannesburg. The arrest came after the woman had made more calls to the family continuing to demand the ransom and police had traced the phone calls. Police soon realised that Nsela was a neighbour of the Mzimba family. It would emerge that the woman lived in the same street and had known Sepumelelo. On the day of the child's disappearance, the woman had lured the young girl to her home. Although Nsela would initially claim that Sepumelelo had died by accident, it would be proven that the woman had always intended to kill her. The child's devastated parents would learn that by the time they received that first phone call on the day of their daughter's disappearance, she was already deceased. When Supumalelo had arrived at Nsela's house, the woman had tied the girl up by placing a rope around her neck and attaching it to her feet, which she also bound. This had led to the girl dying of strangulation. Although Supumalelo was already dead, her murderer had continued to attempt to extort money out of the Mzimba family. Then, horrifyingly, she'd removed some of the girl's body parts, which she intended to sell on the black market, before having a neighbour dig a grave and burying the girl's remains. She then fled to Johannesburg, where she continued to taunt the family by phone, and was then arrested. It would emerge during the trial that Nsela's intention had always been to kill Supumalelo and sell her organs and body parts. The ransom ploy was just a way for her to try and make even more money out of her horrific crime. Recently, Nsela was found guilty of murder, kidnapping, attempted extortion, and violating the health act because she'd taken some of the child's body parts with her to Johannesburg. In mitigation, the woman's defence attorney attempted to claim that the court should have mercy on her, because she committed the crime out of desperation, because she had no source of income. Thankfully, the judge did not see this ridiculous plea as any mitigating factor, and he sentenced Nsela to life in prison, plus an additional 25 years for the other charges. The level of depravity in this case is just mind-blowing, and I'm very glad that this woman will be behind bars for a very long time. The final case I want to discuss is actually not South African, but from our neighbouring country, Namibia, but I think it holds some very interesting themes, and it's important to discuss. In March this year, -year 65-year-old Marita Wilhelm, who lived alone on a rural property in the Grootfontein district in Namibia, was attacked in her home. This was allegedly the third time that the woman's home had been broken into, and it's alleged that she recognised the attacker, but it's not clear whether this was from a prior attack or she recognised him from somewhere else. When Marita confronted the man, he was armed with a hammer and hit the woman on her head. Blood started to flow down her face, and she drew her gun and fired shots in a manner which is described as blindly, due to her vision being obscured by the blood. One of the shots hit the attacker, but he was only wounded and remained on his feet, continuing to approach Marita with the hammer. The woman was able to wrestle the hammer out of the man's hands and hit him over the head with it. The man died on the scene. Marita was initially taken for medical attention, but in a shocking turn of events, almost as soon as she was released from hospital, she was arrested for murder. In cases like this, where someone kills an assailant in their home, the normal procedure is for a death investigation to be launched and only at the end of said investigation, if it's determined that the killing may have been unlawful, then charges will be laid. This is very important to understand, because journalists often get it wrong when they report on similar cases in South Africa. They'll refer to the investigation as a murder investigation, but it is not that. Any unnatural death requires a death investigation, and this is what should have happened in Marita's case. But for some reason, police seemed certain from the beginning that there was reason to suspect the killing was unlawful. The public, both in Namibia and South Africa, were up in arms when Marita was arrested, and even more so when she was initially denied bail. She was eventually granted bail just this week, and the commencement of her proceedings has been set for later in the month. While the immediate arrest is strange to me, with how the incident has been presented, I would personally prefer to hold back from forming an opinion until I hear what evidence the state actually has. I'm not for a minute saying that all is not necessarily what it seems, But I cannot see that police would intentionally and publicly victimize a 65-year-old woman who appears to have been defending herself without sufficient cause. So one would think they must have some evidence of this killing somehow being unlawful. Whether or not it will translate into a conviction, of course, remains to be seen. Before I head off, I'd like to introduce you to a podcast I've been enjoying recently. I recently starred in an audio drama on the October Pod platform, and you can head over there and listen to it. It's called Final Girls. Here's Edward with his promo for his podcast.
0: I'm Edward October. There's only one way to serve a fine bourbon, poured neat, and slowly savored. The retro horror stories served by Oktoberpod Are just as refined as an aged bourbon but now there are two ways to enjoy them subscribe to october pod home video on youtube there we debut our latest true true true-ish and or classic tales of horror and the paranormal on the first and third tuesday of each month and now you can pour yourself a double serving of october pod Find October Pod After Midnight, that's October Pod AM for short, on your favorite podcast app. There, on the second and fourth Tuesday of the month, we serve up tall glasses of our most horrifying spirits, specially curated for you to savor. Each episode of October Pod AM lasts about an hour, just long enough to sip a good scotch by the fire. Now there are two ways to enjoy retro horror thrills of impeccable taste. Find all our links at OctoberPodVHS.com. OctoberPod retro horror for bold individualists.
1: And that is your spotlight minisode for the week. If you'd like to hear more victim-focused true crime contents please subscribe to True Crime South Africa on the platform you're using to listen right now. If you're looking for something still related to real-life stories, but often with a more positive slant, you can check out my new podcast series, I Live Through This. You can follow both podcasts on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, thank you for your support, and I'll chat to you soon.